You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. Hey, how many people have been water skiing before? A lot of you. Nice. That's what we talk about in the winter is water skiing. Um, I water skied a couple of years ago. You know what they tell you like the first time you water ski, right? They say to you, what do they tell you? Does anybody know? What do they say? Yeah, just let the boat pull you up, right? Just let the boat pull you up. It's like, yeah, I got it. I'll just let the boat pull me up. Um, when I first tried it, uh, they said, let the boat pull you up. And, and I did it. And then, like, I flew forward. And you, you know what I'm saying? Like, when you fly forward. And I was, like, underwater. And I came back up. And my friends were like, just let the boat pull you up. For those of you who haven't gone water skiing, I finally figured out. You stay in this crouched position. And, like, legitimately, you just stay in this position. And then the boat pulls you up. It, like, really happens. And then you're up. And then you're able to have fun. Um, but honestly, it's like the most counterintuitive thing I've ever done. Like super counterintuitive. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, anybody mountain bike before? Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> that's what I thought. When you're mountain biking, I love mountain biking. I went to college in Colorado when you mountain bike um, and you're about to hit a ledge. Um, you're, you, what you want to do is you want to put on your brake. Like that's what you want to do. But if you put on your brake, you fly over your handlebars. If you fly over your handlebars, you get hurt. It hurts. Um, and so what you do is you're about to go over a ledge is you let off the brake and you speed up in order to go over the ledge. It's counterintuitive. It makes no sense to do that, but that's what you do. Um, listen, guys, it's um, Christmas and New Year's are over and I gained a few pounds. <laughs> and uh, I'm not going to ask you if you've gained any weight, uh, but in order to lose weight, what do we do? Does anybody know? We eat about five or six times a day, but we eat small meals. And you say like, wait a second, like we're supposed to eat three times a day. You're telling me by eating more times a day, we're gonna lose weight? Absolutely, it speeds up your metabolism, you lose more weight, but that is counterintuitive. Doesn't make sense, it's counterintuitive. I got one more for you, all right? You know, right here at the base of our brain, we have um, this cortex. Um, uh, it's not the cortex, and now I'm blanking on the name of it. I can't remember, and it's not in my notes either. But anyway, it's there, and uh, it, it tells us that we need to survive, and it tells us we, survi- uh, we survive by defending ourselves. And so anytime you hear about people who want to defend themselves, that's a really natural instinct. Anytime you want to hear about people who you know, want to fight off other people, it's an incredibly natural instinct. The way of peace is actually incredibly counterintuitive. Our brains don't want that. Our brains want to survive. So when we think about peace, when we think about not harming one another, when we think about not defending ourselves, that's actually counterintuitive. This epiphany time that we're in right now, epiphany is absolutely 100% counterintuitive. What is epiphany? Epiphany is, uh, like Ben, like I, I totally, first of all, two things. First, Ben wrote most of that music. Do you guys know that? Like, he wrote most of that. You guys can buy it if you want to. Right, Ben? They can buy it? Uh, forget it. Don't buy it. Um, but then secondly, like, arise, shine, for the light has come. Epiphany is this time where we celebrate the fact that, uh, that we have this God who we're no longer waiting for. This God comes in Jesus Christ, and that God is here, and that God is with us. And so we celebrate the light that is here. I'm really, really excited about this series that we're going to do. I'm incredibly excited about this Sermon on the Mount series uh, that we have. Because for me, the Sermon on the Mount, especially the Beatitudes, this isn't like, a, um, you know, oh, here's steps one through four of how to live your life. This is like, this is the, this is the magnum opus. Like, this is like the Jesus drop the mic. Want to know who God is? Here it is. 
like that. That it's an announcement. It's this incredible announcement that 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 Jesus is here, and the kingdom of of heaven or this kingdom here on earth will never ever look the same. It's it's mind blowing. It's counterintuitive. That's what it is. It's incredibly counterintuitive. And I'm going to talk a little bit about how today's going to be a little bit of of. Um, Maybe for some of us a refresher, a bit of a gospel message, a bit of a this really is good news. It's counterintuitive good news. So here's what I want, all right? Over the next few weeks, I want us to uh, be a part of this Beatitude series, this, this Sermon on the Mount. I really want us to focus in on it. Um, if you're not in a small group, get in a small group. Hang out with your friends and don't talk like, oh, did you see Star Wars? Don't do that. Like, talk about this stuff. Be like, hey, what, uh, you know, what are we reading? This is crazy. Like, I can't believe Jesus would say this. this. How does this work in our lives today? Do that. All right? I want you guys to do that with one another. I want you to do it as a church community. I want you to take part in this epiphany celebration, this epiphany series, okay? And I'm also going to challenge you to grow. I'm going to challenge you to move, all right? I'm going to challenge you to think differently about how deep and how wide God's love is for us. I always say that if we think the same thing we thought 15 years ago that we think today, there's no growth. I want us to grow in Christ and in who Christ is. That's what I'm going to challenge us to do, all right? Are we ready? Come on, people. All right, all right, good. Good. Hey, here's how I'm going to start. I'm going to start by reading the Beatitudes. And this is an overview of the whole thing today. We're going to go through this verse by verse. It's actually going to be good, I promise. Um, But right now, I'm going to read it. Here's what I want you to do. If you want to close your eyes, if you want to, you know, just kind of look at the words on the screen, but I want you to pay attention to this idea of being blessed and who and what are being blessed, okay? So just go ahead and look at this with me or close your eyes and pray this with me. But here it is. It's Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay. This is in the book of Matthew. And if you were here during Advent at all, then you know the book of Matthew is a book meant to give hope to the hopeless. Quick review. The temple has been destroyed. Most people have lost family and friends. They've lost uh, this temple where God was housed. God is no longer housed there, and they're feeling like there's nothing left. And so here comes Jesus, and Jesus is here to bring hope. And Jesus does it by talking about blessing. Okay, now what we need to do, and what these people needed to do at the time of Jesus, is deconstruct what blessing actually looks like. Okay, in Jesus' time, uh, if you were in Israel, that means you practiced Judaism. And if you practiced Judaism, it means that your blessing came by thinking the right thing and doing the right thing. You think the right stuff, you do the right stuff, blessings come your way. So uh, Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments, you follow the Ten Commandments, you follow the other 613 laws that are in Leviticus and everywhere else, and there is your blessing. Your blessing comes from that. It comes from believing the right thing. You believe in God the right way, your blessing comes comes that way too. Now, we need to deconstruct the idea of blessing because the truth of the matter is we're very much the same way. 
The truth of the matter is we say that blessing or, or goodness from God comes when we believe the right thing and when we do the right thing. That's who we are. It's what we do. As long as I believe this right way and I do this right way, as long as I, I have these views and I keep this kind of, kind of uh, behavior, then I'm going to be blessed. God's going to love me. God's in with me. And the problem is, is that when we think of blessing as being doing the right thing and believing the right thing, a lot of times actually we end up oppressing one another. Actually, a lot of times we end up pretty divisive. Actually, a lot of times we end up hurting each other. We end up doing the opposite of what the gospel message is. When you believe and you do the right thing, you end up saying things like this. This was said in 1960. But every good and substantial Bible-believing, intelligent, orthodox Christian can read the word of God and know what is happening in the South is now is not of God. That's Bob Jones Sr. in his treaties against integration. You believe the right thing. Believing the right thing causes often oppression. I got to believe what's right. I got to be safe. In 1823, the right of holding slaves is clearly established by the Holy Scriptures, both by precept and example, the Reverend Richard Furman. And I believe the right thing. I got to make sure I believe the right thing and do the right thing, even if it seems wrong or oppressive. It keeps me safe. It keeps me safe. Who demands the ballot for women? They are not lovers of God, nor are they believers in Christ as a class. There may be exceptions, but the majority prefer an infidel's cheer to the favor of God and the love of the Christian community. Reverend Justin Dewey Fulton and his treaties against women's suffrage because simply believing and doing the right thing often works in the opposite way of Christ's intended message, of the gospel message. So being blessed cannot be believing the right thing, doing the right thing. That does not work. We have to change the way we think about blessing. But there's other ways we think about blessing too because we're in the 21st century and we're in America and many of us are millennials. Where are my millennials out there? Where are you? And so blessing, <laughs> blessings just become like, oh, my life is good, everything's good. I'm blessed. And nowhere do you see like this symptom of 21st century American millennial blessing than on Twitter. Am I right? Hashtag what? Hashtag blessed. I've done this before, it's so much fun, I decided to do it again. I just decided to go on Twitter and look at all the hashtag blessed and see what we came up with. This is a symptom of what we have turned blessing into. Ready? Actual tweets from actual people. Three of my four fantasy football teams are in the semifinals this week. Blessed. <laughs> this has been a great week. Adele's tour. I didn't fail my law class. I had chicken minis earlier today. Blessed. Chicken minis are amazing. <laughs> now that I'm 18, I can go on the internet without my parents' permission. Blessed. <laughs> that kid. The things that kid's going to do on the internet. Ugh. I'll be drinking for free at 5.30. Management office party tonight. Blessed. That is right. That's what we've turned blessings into, right? We've turned them into, uh, you know, I always use, I always use this example because my wife says it all the time. Oh, we got a parking spot. Like, this is a blessing from God. And, and I go, yeah, no. No, God doesn't operate that way. God is not a genie, right? God is not somebody who magically turns us 18 so we don't need permission for the internet anymore, right? That's not a blessing. That's not who God is. We need to change the way we think about blessing if we're going to get down to this counterintuitive gospel message. Here's what most of us in this room will do, though. 
including me, including me, most of us in this room, and I talked a little bit about this before we left for Christmas, most of us in this room will say, if I do X, then Y will happen, right? This is the way we think about our blessing. If I just start reading this, it's the new year, right? How many of you made it through Genesis 5? You're doing a chapter a day, right, for the whole year? How many of you are there yet? You already failed. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, if we just read, you know, a chapter a day, you know, there's blessing that comes our way. God, God, will, God, God loves us more, right? Uh, if we pray and we put a good string of prayers together, then, then we're blessed. Then we're blessed. If we stop going to that website that we don't need our parents' permission for, and if we can hold off, then we are blessed. Like God blesses that behavior, right? And then we judge other people. That man was a murderer. He died. He didn't deserve God's blessing. That blessing wasn't deserved. We have to change the way that we do blessing. Blessing is not God's up here and we're down over here. And all of a sudden we start doing a few things and God goes, oh, I didn't like you and now I like you, right? And I talked about this a couple weeks ago. That's not what blessing is. We have to change the way we're looking at blessing. So what happens? Jesus gets his disciples together. He goes up on a mountain. This is what uh, the scripture says. This is actually verse one. It wasn't verse one before. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and began to teach them. Now in this, this is a historical note that is too good to pass up. In this, there's this really, really big, big kind of clue or context piece. It says he went up on a mountainside. Now, in the time of Israel, if there was a place where you were learning or where God was or you heard this amazing message, that place would be named. Okay, so for instance, think about um, Moses with the Ten Commandments. Uh, it's either Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, depending on whether you read Kings or Exodus. But it's a named place. And those places are, um, those places are, are holy. And so you go to that holy place. It's named. And sometimes you set stones there, an altar there to remember. And you make a sacrifice there and you pray to God there because that's where God is now. Okay, it's a holy place and there's God there. So go to that holy place. But now we're getting new information. Now we're getting a new message, this counterintuitive message and it's on purpose that it says simply mountainside. There's a message being conveyed to the people and the message is this, God is not someplace else. The first way you know that you are blessed is by knowing that God is here right now with you all over the place. It doesn't matter what mountain you're on. You don't have to be on Sinai or Horeb or anywhere else. God's always with you. That is the first way you understand in which you are blessed. And that's like a little context clue in the scripture. Uh, in the book of Luke, it says that Jesus was on a plane. But still, it's that same idea, that same concept. It's the idea that you don't name this place. This is important, new, counter cultural, counterintuitive information that you're getting. This is good news. And you need to start by knowing that God's everywhere. That's where we start. And then Jesus goes in, blessed are. Uh, blessed are the, the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed, and, he, and he continues. What does blessed mean? How does it translate? All right, I'm gonna read this because it's this important, okay? Here's how blessed translates. The word blessed, it translates from the Greek word uh, eulogio, and eulogio means to be consecrated. Okay, now consecrated has two meanings to it in the Greek, the way we would read it in scripture, two meanings. I'm gonna talk about one of those meanings next week, so I'm not gonna give it away, all right? but I'm going to talk about the other meaning this week. To be consecrated means to be set apart, and to be set apart, as you translate it in the Greek, it means, uh, and I, simply, it means God is on your side. That's what it means. You just break it down. Blessed are means God is on your side. 
So you start in, you go, God is on your side when you are poor in spirit. God is on your side when you are meek. God is on your side when you are oppressed. So you start to read it that way and it starts to look a little different. Let's just take the first one. Let's take poor in spirit. Poor in spirit translates simply into you being a loser. Seriously, that's what it translates into in, in, in the scripture. Like, um, you know, so back in those days, you would think of somebody who um, didn't have family, somebody who... Um, drank too much wine, somebody who was a prostitute, somebody who uh, was like, there was nine classes, so somebody who was in the ninth class, okay? Those would be the people who were poor in spirit. And Jesus says, hey, I am on your side when you are a prostitute. I am on your side when you are in that ninth class. I am on your side when you uh, are, are, you know, drinking too much wine. I am on your side. So think about what's this, what this is doing to the people. I am on your side when... You have these people who are sitting there listening to this, right? And everything is gone. Temple destroyed, family's gone, some people are in that lowest class. And they're going, what did I do? Why did this happen to me? Why is my temple destroyed? If I had just done a little bit better, God wouldn't be mad at me. I'd be being blessed. And Jesus comes along and Jesus goes, no, God's already on your side. You were already blessed. God is on your side. That's counterintuitive. It's so counterintuitive that even the disciples struggled with it. Peter and James, later on in scripture, we find out that it was so counterintuitive that they were like, huh, do we need to continue to follow Jewish law? This seems too, too much like good news. This feels too easy almost. Like, God can't be on my side unless I do X and Y. No, blessed are, God is on your side. That's good news. It's actually pretty simple. It's super counterintuitive. You know why it's super counterintuitive? Because I'm going, amen, I'm, I'm the pastor, and I'm going, amen, God's on my side, but, but eventually I gotta get it figured out, right? Eventually I gotta work it out. Eventually I need to stop doing stupid things, or eventually I need to, I don't know. God's not gonna bless me for very, God won't be on my side if, no. And God is saying, I'm already there. I'm already on your side. And the second that we look at somebody else, like the second we look at like a terrorist or a Muslim or a shooter or the worst of the worst, and the second we go, that person, that person's evil, God goes, ah, they're blessed. I am on their side. And you, the person who made it to church on the first Sunday after New Year, pat yourselves on the back, I'm on your side too. God is on your side. Wow, counterintuitive. We live in a meritocracy that says you do X, you get Y. This says you got it. You are loved far deeper and wider than you could ever imagine. So what do you do with it? Um, what do you do with it? Uh, when I met my wife, I fell head over heels in love with her within like three months. That's like cliche, right? It was the law of limerence, really. I was like just infatuated. But anyway... Um, I met her, and about three months later, I was talking to some of my best friends, and I was like, this girl's incredible. And they were like, why is she incredible? And I was like, she, she really just, you know, I was like, she lets me be a jerk all the time. Uh, I can just be a jerk whenever I want to. She lets me make really poor decisions. I can make poor decisions whenever, and she just lets me. She's like, yeah, make a poor decision. I can treat my body really badly, and, um, and she just laughs. No, no, I didn't say any of that. Come on, how many, listen, when you meet a significant other, do you say, I love this significant other because I, 
I can still be a jerk and that's fine. Or uh, because I, I still make poor decisions, that's great. No, you say this person, I love this person so much, I want to be better. I love this person so incredibly much. I can't believe what this person does. I want to grow. I want to be the best I can for this person. I love this person so much. I want to be challenged. I want to pursue my passions. I love this person so much. This person loves me in such a way that I got to be the best me. That's what we say. And then we get up there, and if we, if we get married, if there ever comes a time some of us get married, we get up there and we say, you know, we look in the other person's eyes and we're like, you challenge me to grow every single day. We say something like that, right? And half the time you mean it. It's really incredible. <laughs> but, um, but the bottom line is when, we've, when we connect with somebody, even a friend, right? Even just a really great friend, we're challenged to be better. And here's the beauty of this whole thing. The beauty of this with, with, with Jesus, Jesus says, I'm already on your side. I'm already there. My love is so deep and so wide and so infinite that I'm not on a mountain. I'm, not, I'm with you. I'm here. You, I, I, I have you. And if you never change another day in your life, if this is who you are, I'm still on your side. But does that compel us to continue? What does it compel us to do? It compels me to want to get better. It compels us to want to get better. Now I want to live counterintuitively, just like this counterintuitive message. Now I want to show grace to people that I would never show grace to otherwise because this whole thing's counterintuitive. I want to start living counterintuitively too. That's what I want to start doing. Now I want to love people that I normally wouldn't love before because it's counterintuitive. That's what I want to do because I experience counterintuitive love. Now I want to start making better decisions. You know what? Maybe I don't want to go on that website that my parents don't need permission for anymore, whatever, because maybe, maybe it doesn't help me. Maybe I want to be counterintuitive. Maybe I want to rise above myself. Maybe I want to be more selfless instead of selfish. I want to live a counterintuitive life because this is a counterintuitive gospel message that begs me, compels me to reflect the infinite, incredible love of Jesus Christ. That's what I think we do as a church. That's what I challenge us to do as a church this year. That's what I want us to see happen. So this year, here's what I'm asking you guys to do. Stop thinking you gotta do the right things. I gotta do the right things or else. Stop living in fear. Yesterday I was talking to somebody and this woman is incredible and she loves God with all her heart. And just amazing. And, and she said to me, uh, am, I, am I okay? Am I okay? Does God love me? Am I and I I was like, you are more loved than you can ever imagine. This woman's an incredible woman, just a great person. And we spend too much time living in fear that God's not blessing us unless we do the right thing and live the right way. Stop it. Stop it. God is on your side. You are blessed. Maybe some of us do need to start thinking about how we live counterintuitively. Maybe some of us are like, I live in New York and I live for me because New York is the big city of me. Maybe we say, oh man, maybe I gotta take a step back and live for others, live counterintuitively. You know, I made fun of it earlier, but, but maybe we were dipping our toes in this. Maybe we were like, I'll come to church when I feel like it. Or I'll, I'll, I'll dive into scripture when I feel like it. I'll pray when I feel like it. But, but what if like, you know, what if we start living counterintuitively where that stuff actually matters? Where it actually makes a difference? Where it actually moves us and grows us? That's the thing we need to do. 
One of the things I love about our church, I absolutely love that we practice this tradition of baptism. I think baptism is one of the most incredible things we do. It's this outward symbol of the fact that we wanna live our lives counterintuitively. And I wanna go ahead and I wanna show you this video real quick. The way that we express our counterintuitive way of thinking, the way we journey is through baptism. And, uh, and I always say, you know, baptism isn't so that God changes God's mind about us. God doesn't go, I don't like you. Oh, you went underwater? I like you. No, it's not for that. It's so that we change our minds about God. It's so that we say, wow, there's a God who says I am blessed. There's a God who says that I am on your side. And we say, you know what? I want to live counterintuitively as well. And so if you're interested in baptism in any way as part of uh, your, your journey, your beginning to go through this counterintuitive gospel message, please talk to me after church. If you've been baptized before, wonderful. It's incredible. I love it. I'm happy. Let's journey together as a church, as a community, during Epiphany, where we get to live out this message that says, you know what? You're in the desert, and I walk with you in the desert and into life. And you're in mourning, and I walk with you into mourning, into celebration. And you're in the depths, and I walk with you in your brokenness into fullness. And you and me and us, we are blessed. Arise and shine. This light has come, and the glory of the Lord is upon you and upon me and us. Amen? Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you. Um, thank you for, um, oh my goodness, this message that is just so incredible that says that we are loved more than we could ever imagine. Um, and allow us to reflect that. Allow us to live our lives selflessly. Allow us to live our lives in the same way, um, you know, just showing glimpses of the way that you love us. And God, thank you so much for the grace that comes when we get it wrong. But Lord, use us. Use us to bring this message, this good news to others, especially in this city, especially in this place. We pray this in your name. Amen.